karma's gonna get you Gonna knock you right on the head You better get yourself together Pretty soon you're gonna be dead And welcome to the Latecomers. I'm Amity. I'm Lemuel. And this week we make our first revisit with 1997 miniseries The Shining. Stephen King's The Shining, not Stanley Kubrick's The Shining. I Don't think get that's the clearest distinction right there. Yes. What belongs to whom? Before we get into this miniseries, which was three episodes and not two, as I had previously thought, so we had a longer watch this week. How was your week? Well, on the nights I was not watching The Shining, which were few, um, I actually had a very good week, and I got to take a trip at the end of the weekend, uh, or at the end of the week, rather, uh, under which I was terrified by a flock of turkeys. A flock of turkeys. I don't know if turkeys come in flocks. That's exactly what they come in. I was under the impression that I should call it a murder of turkeys. No, that's crow. menacing, and there was at least 30 of them, and they're very large. I'm but, looking uh, it up. What is the silly name we have given to turkeys? And if it is technically called a rafter, though a they are rafter? also incorrectly, quote unquote, incorrectly referred to as a gobble. <laughs> I think gobble makes more <laughs> sense than rafter. But well, I'm telling you, but rafter, these were terrifying. They were just rafter. stalking through the woods like little velociraptors. And as Ben Mooney says, technically correct is the best kind of correct. Hmm. Well, what about you? How was your week? My week was good. Uh, cold. It's very cold. It's very cold. Mostly I was cold. <laughs> also, it seems like we've already had a good six and a half months so far in this 13 days of January that we have lived. <sighs> yes, it's been cold every night. I've woken up with headaches because I'm so cold. So it's... Um, and our tiny little space heater is struggling valiantly. It's working so hard. Yes. I, I, I wish I could feed it and pet it because it's working so strong, uh, hard to keep us warm. And I made a fire earlier today. Mm-hmm. Um, I referred to last year as a, a week of years instead of a year of weeks. Uh-huh. And I feel like this, week, this year is going to do the same. <laughs> oh, like every day mm-hmm. yeah, feels very, very long. And then the week is over, and I'm like, what just happened? It's very strange. We got to December last year, and I don't... It, it felt so long and so short at the same time. It was an odd year, because near the end of the year, it really did feel as if I was running downhill and couldn't stop things. Yeah. Well, Everything I think that's also a... piled on top of each other. The holidays seemed to be one big jumble. Yeah, it was, a, it was also a byproduct, I believe, of the late Thanksgiving mm-hmm. regular timed Christmas. And it was odd. I'm looking forward to this year's Thanksgiving. Lord willing, I will be able to take weekends off. Whereas last, uh, the last two holidays that we had, yeah, it was the middle Wednesdays. of the week and I had to get back to work and I just oh, was not in the mood nope. for it at all. I'm still not in the mood. I was apologizing mm-hmm. to clients today, just responding like, sorry, I've been getting back so sporadically. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to get back into the habit of work and I hate it. So that's where I am. But we're doing our very best. Very good. And in doing our very best, we have watched a three-part miniseries mm-hmm. that uh, was released in 1997 on ABC. 
It aired between April 27th and May 1st, 1997. Which was my birthday. That is your birthday. Mm -hmm. Not my birthday. No. Uh, And it stars Rebecca DeMornay. She got top billing. Go Wendy. And Stephen Weber and Cortland Mead. He is the adorable baby-faced baby. Did he do very much? Not, I He's don't think, as an very adult. good. Um, I believe that his... Cortland Mead. He was in the Little Rascals remake. He did voices in Recess, which was a very good show that I enjoyed. Uh, he was in The Young and the Restless for a little while. His last acting credit is 2010. Uh, he was born... In 1987, so when he hit adulthood, he didn't do a lot. Well, I think that more if you, I can't picture him as an adult. If you do a lot of, I, I think a lot of performers who have had long careers as child actors tend to sort of not uh, either not find roles as an adult or not be or not have the same interest in the um, pursuing it as a career, because I think it takes a lot out of you. He has a child. His sisters are twins and have some some acting credits to their names as well. Yep. So I don't know. I don't know what he's doing with his life now, but we haven't seen him in anything since 2010. Mm. Uh, He's a very cute kid. His face is very adorable. He's very expressive. He uh, inevitably, I guess... He was infinitely better than the child that played Danny in the original movie. That is, um, that's up to the audience member. I know uh, some people who are very fond of that performance from the original film, even though I don't feel like a lot of it what was What performance there. are you talking about? Because that child just looked confused, like he didn't quite know what was happening around him. Well, that's kind of the part. Yeah, except staring off into space is not the mm-hmm. easiest or best way to... To talk about or to deal with that. He was going for a more naturalistic, non-child actor performance, or that's what Kubrick was doing at the time. There's because still people, Kubrick again, couldn't actively abuse a child on set. Somebody would have said something. <laughs> I don't think it's about all about abuse. I think it's also about trying to make specifically his vision, and I think that's what the issue is, the difference between these two films. One film is trying very hard to fulfill Kubrick's very strange, grandiloquent version of the story. Yeah, and... And it needed a simpler realization, which is why in that respect, this is more successful. Do, do we understand why Stanley Kubrick made that movie in the first... Why he decided to why adapt he on this. A, a book that he didn't even like most of? I, I, that I don't know. Like, There's it, been so much uh, discussion on this film, I'm sure that somebody knows the answer to that. Because he explicitly was like, ghosts, fooey. But the book is a ghost story. Well, and that's something... So why wouldn't he just make what he wanted to make and not tie it into an existing property? I don't understand that. I think that he liked the horror elements of the rest of the story. I'm CCing this question to the makers of Battleship also. Why okay. didn't you just make a war movie? Why did you have to tie it into an existing property? I don't know exactly what it was that motivated Kubrick in terms of this material, and he just thought this was the story to take. I think that uh, you can see where it appeals to a lot of what he does thematically. If you're I looking guess. at the Clockwork Orange in 2001, yeah. 
and also some of the less popular movies or ones that didn't quite have that effect on the public, you can see where it continues thematically. But you're right. He saw ghosts as being optimistic because they're symbols of an afterlife. Right. And that was the argument he had with with King, which right. is, well, what about hell? Well, I don't believe in hell. Right, and, and so, because he couldn't believe right. it, he didn't translate that stuff onto film. There's only one moment in the film, the original film, where there actually is evidence that something paranormal is happening. Mm-hmm. And we all know what that moment was. Um, but in this film, it's everywhere. It's everywhere. Yeah, Everyone's seeing it. It's constant. It. Wendy's seeing it all through the story. Um, Danny is seeing it. Everyone just sort of takes it for granted that something is going on, whereas in Kubrick's film, people are in denial up until they can't be any longer. Yeah. And let's not spend too much more time on Kubrick's film, but what I will mm. say is I think that the biggest flaw in Kubrick's film to me as what as a person mm-hmm. watching it was the casting. All right. So you, I just don't think any of those three people now you're were talking particularly about the well cast. Yes. Because Catman uh, yeah. Crothers was great. Yes, no, <laughs> but, absolutely. And but he's also only in two scenes. So right. he's not gonna make or break a, a movie. Right, exactly. Um I think the casting in this one, especially of Danny and Wendy, mm-hmm. is much stronger. And I think that Steven Weber does a better job with the Jack Torrance character than mm-hmm. Jack Nicholson does. And um, that's the, another thing that I wanted to uh, just quickly, briefly say was that was one of Stephen King's problems with the original film was the mm-hmm. casting. Specifically, um, Jack Nicholson had just been in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. So as soon as you see him, you're already, as an audience member, going, oh, this dude's going to lose his mind. Because mm-hmm. he's already... That probably was why he was cast. Right. But that doesn't give him... Then he has no arc. Mm-hmm. He doesn't start as a man and end up as a monster. He's just, we're right. waiting for him to be a monster because we know it's in there and it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think that's detrimental to the movie as a whole. Um, so, in this version, uh, which, like I said, two, it's four and a half hours long, I actually think they could have gotten away with an hour less. Although I don't know how you'd split that up on television. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's why... Maybe two, two and a half hour episodes to get enough commercials in. I don't know. I think there are some extraneous things in here, but I think there are some things that as we were watching, we both were like, oh, this is a nice thing to see that we don't get in the original. So we have the same core family, Jack Torrance, uh, played by Steven Weber of Wings fame, is... An alcoholic who has a bad temper, and that bad temper caused him to lose his job. He was a teacher at a prep school. Uh, He gave a bad grade. That child stuck a knife in his tires, and then he proceeded to beat the shit out of that child. Hey, guess what? You can't do that. Even though the child was like 16 years old. You still can. You cannot put hands. Okay, but keep you going. You cannot put I, I hands. Won't, I won't argue on that point with on you. On students. I disagree, but go ahead. Uh, well, then you'd also have been fired. Uh, probably, but the kid had a knife. It's not as if at any point the, the person was, could have... The kid had a knife, but was not aiming it at him. I 
that we don't know. But go no, on. we do. We watched I the know. scene. I'm saying that <laughs> it's the possibility. There's a very real possibility a child with a knife. No, that person needs to be stopped. But again, that's no. that's a personal issue. But you go on. It, okay, if that child needs to be stopped, I bet there was security. That's a very fancy school. They were all wearing jackets and ties. I think that. What his fault was is that once he disarmed the child, he didn't need to keep beating him in the face. So that but was another thing. He also did not disarm the child. He pushed the kid over. The kid lets the knife go. So at that point... Right. That's where you end it. Not and then he continues him punching him repeatedly in the face. So he loses his job, which is an appropriate punishment for what he did. <laughs> uh, and also at around the same time, he breaks Danny's arm when... Punishing him mm-hmm. while drunk, uh, he doesn't didn't intend to. He grabs him by the arm and shakes him, and it breaks his arm because he's a small child. I think he's six probably at that right. time. Uh, Wendy is like, "If you ever hurt him again, we're done. I'm leaving you." Jack does a very manipulative thing. I'm like, "Oh, you're an abuser." You can tell by this sentence. If anything like that happens again, um. I'll be gone one way or another. He's threatening to kill well, himself. <laughs> I think what I liked about both Jack Nicholson's performance and Stephen Weber's, who I didn't think very much of, and he was this time around that I saw it, um, I liked it much better. Give him his wings cred. <laughs> he, I, well, I'd like to see him play something other than a jackass, so I, I need to go back and... He wasn't a jackass in wings. In, I thought so. I mean, he... But, you had think ninety eight percent of men I on screen that, are jackasses. Uh, well, it was that and this and single white female. Where oh, he I forgot just he was in that. kind of a dick. This is his thing. But when watching it, I think both of them, both him and Jack Nicholson, more so here because he has more time to play out this mm. character or to tease it out, are people that would really be insufferable in other circumstances. Nothing is their problem. It's all yeah, being done to them. These dudes are Trump voters 100%. He's whiny. He's angry. He, he he doesn't use the phrase white man's burden, but Jack Nicholson does. And that is, I think, but from the, the movie. But the same sort of implicit it's racism that, is in this movie, too. Mm-hmm. They changed the language so it wasn't quite as uh-huh. bad as it was in the original yes, film. But he is definitely a there. person who is like, as a white man, I, I am entitled to a lot of things that I'm not getting because of X, Y, and, and Z. And that comes out at one point where he says, when he's talking about losing his position, where he's, yeah. again, focused on the job that he's been given, the stewardship of this enormous hotel, well, yeah. his responsibility, he tells his wife, well, we could just wind up working next to illegal immigrants, and that way... Yeah, um, we'll go pick fruit or whatever. Right. And Danny doesn't need to learn a second language. And that's just such an insulting... Yeah, no, it it really is. Racist thing to say. Yeah. Um, that it makes you wonder what is what held this together, what charmed uh Wendy. And Wendy here is not Wendy's a fully realized person, mm-hmm. which is a nice change from what was put on screen previously. Right. Um she's she's a painter or mm-hmm. an artist. Um but we don't see her doing work. I'm like, why can't she get a job? But whatever. Um, well, let's start with um, him getting the job because there's an opening scene where Jack is at the hotel. Uh-huh. They shot at the Stanley instead mm-hmm. of, as you were saying, Stanley Kubrick built a set in England An and that's where they shot. Set, yes. 
Um, in this, they shot at the Stanley, which is the always the outside mm-hmm. of the exterior, of the, right. the exterior of the original as well. So we don't have the iconic carpeting because that mm-hmm. is a Kubrick addition to his set. Right. Uh, but we do have a beautiful hotel on the outside or on the inside and on the outside. I don't love. He goes and he's interviewed by Elliot Gould, even though he's already been given the job, which is a little bit weird. So Elliot Gould is not keen on hiring. Mm-hmm. Jack, uh, but and says so to his face. Right. He mm-hmm. has a deep disdain, a deep love for the hotel, and a deep disdain for Jack Torrance. Um, we get this introduction to the hotel by the other handyman, like the on-season Pete, who's played handyman. by Pat Hingle, yes, veteran character actor Vet- Pat Hingle, yes. And he shows him, of course, the boiler, and the boiler mm-hmm. is the fundamental difference between. The story that we see in this one and the story we see in, saw in the previous mm-hmm. one. If you don't dump the boiler, which just means turning a, um, a valve, a valve, every day, the boiler will explode. So, because the safety valve rusted shut twenty years ago, and they haven't thought to, I don't know, get a handyman out in all that time. In fact. Here's a internal logic question. We also find out from Pat, for what's his name in the in the show, Pete. Pete Watson. That everybody hates the owner, and that's Elliot Gould's character, and that or the caretaker from the previous year killed his child, his wife, and himself during his stay there. That was one year ago, like mm-hmm. within within a year, uh, and. My question is, did he do that the the day before people were coming back? Because why didn't the boiler explode then? I hadn't thought of it. <laughs> um, I hadn't thought of it either until just right now. Did he make it all the way until the end of the season? Uh, he must have because, well, I don't know. The ghosts don't seem too keen on remembering the boiler, but they know that it's an issue. So that's a weird thing. So he is told that Grady, the previous caretaker, did do all of this uh, murdering mm-hmm. the year before, which he does not tell Wendy, because, you know, why would you tell your wife something like that? And then as he's... So we get this big exposition dump of here's the history. And then, of course, Jack goes, well, are there any ghosts here? And Grady's like, nope, no ghosts. Never seen a ghost. Don't know what a ghost is. <laughs> And I'm like, you're a liar. You're lying. <laughs> and then um, as Jack is getting set to leave and has this job, Elliot Gould is like, you're an alcoholic. I think that you're not fit. Believes that Jack is a bad investment, but the board has already given him a job because apparently Jack worked with... Um, he worked. With, oh, oh is, is it his sponsor that got him a job? That's right, because Jack is NAA. Mm-hmm. Uh, his sponsor pulled pulled strings to get him a job, this job, and Jack's looking forward to. It's six months, October to April, mm-hmm. which is wild. Uh, that. He'll be able to write his play. He's working on a play, his first play. Oh, and the the other film, it was a novel, right? I believe so. And I don't know if it's that in the book. I haven't read the book. Yeah, I can't remember. My guess is it's a play, if if it's a play in this, because mm-hmm. Stephen King wrote right. a teleplay for this. So, 
Um, the little things like that, I think he keeps pretty, pretty close. Now, what did you think about Omen? Oh, Omen also is like, uh, my staff thinks I'm a jackass, and they're probably right, but I love this hotel more than I love any human being or woman ever. <laughs> it actually, frankly, got me off at a bad start because his performance was so overmannered. He was a dick. And Elliot Gould, from someone who's old enough to remember the performances that made him successful, was always playing kind of a slouch. And so seeing him, seeing I him kind play of like this, that kind of opposite thing where right. he's like, no, 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 fucking Pinky's out. Right. This is a fine establishment where they've been running in the black for mm. like since the seventies, which for a hotel that's only open between right. what May and the end of May and the beginning of October, mm-hmm. that's impressive because they're clearly paying a fair amount of money to this family right. to stay. Um, but yeah, he's, um, he's a walking ascot. Yes. <laughs> that, is, that is the character that he has, has taken on. And, uh, then we see Jack leaving and then we switch and we are introduced to Danny and mm-hmm. Wendy who are in a little apartment complex somewhere in Colorado, probably in Denver. Mm-hmm. And this is where we find out that basically Danny's like a... CB, mm-hmm. he can see what's happened. So Wendy asks Danny if Jack got the job, and Danny's like, "Yep, the owner doesn't like him, but he got the job anyway." So and he's much more empowered than he was. In the it, other yeah, film. and it's almost like he can see what's happening, like he's watching mm-hmm. a TV. Uh, we are also at this point introduced to Tony, mm-hmm. who is not either a little man in his mouth or in his finger. There's no crooked finger. Uh, spoiler alert, it is him at the age of 18, apparently. So they got an actor that doesn't look anything like Cortland Mead to play Cortland Mead as an older child or as an older person. And that um, was sort of the way that it was in the book. He's not a ghost. He's not a spirit guide. He's sort of like a like a spirit manifestation of The Shining, whatever mm-hmm. The Shining is. Which so in the book, is he a, a, another version of himself, or is he... There's one line that says it may be that, but in okay. this one, it's very literally that, right? right? Um, the Shining is, in this movie, very nebulous. There's mm-hmm. no set thing of what it actually is. So it's... Psychic powers, so he can see what's happening elsewhere with mm-hmm. people that he knows. He can see ghosts. Uh, Effectively, he, he can, can see, see the future. Time, right? Yeah, past and present and mm-hmm. future and mm-hmm. present and present. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, but there's no confines. There's no mm-hmm. definition really. And then there's mind reading or mm-hmm. like telepathic communication. Right. Uh, so Jack gets back. They're going to all go to the Overlook and then they go to the Overlook and there's another sort of walk around of the grounds where mm-hmm. we meet Dick Halloran who is in this movie played by Melvin Van Peebles. That's Mario's dad. That's how I know him. Who is awesome also in this role right. uh, and gets a better whole better situation <laughs> than Scatman Crothers uh, right. Dick Halloran does. Uh, but he does instantly pick up that 
Danny is special, and they do have a little bit of a conversation in their heads. We find out that like Danny ends up breaking a light on the back of Dick's very nice vehicle uh, by thinking really hard at him. And then Dick is like, you didn't think you even think as hard as you could and gives Dick a bloody nose. You didn't do it as hard as you could. And he said, no, I pulled, I got scared and I pulled back at the last minute. And he goes, good, probably because you would have exploded my head, which don't say that to a child. (laughs) That wouldn't be a Stanley Kubrick film. That would be a David Cronenberg film. That's yeah. But that just like, you could have worded that a Mm. little bit better as you're talking to a seven year old. Uh, and Dick kind of is like, you guys shouldn't, you shouldn't mm-hmm. be here. And in the, we, they have the pictures in a book. They're, the things here can't hurt you. They're like pictures in a book. Just close your eyes or look in the other direction. Count to five and they'll be gone. Uh, that's a lie. Dick kind of knows that that's a lie, but he's also like, well, what am I going to do? Kidnap this kid. <laughs> like, <laughs> they're here. What am I, what, what can I do? But, you know, call for help if you need to. And Danny's like, I will. You don't want that. You're going to Florida. (laughs) St. Pete's. Uh, And and then we're in the hotel. And there's a nice section at the beginning where it's not snowing yet. Where they go down to the town a few times. They go to a doctor's um, office because Danny's having what appear to be seizures. Yes. Uh, but it's when Tony is communicating with him, he kind of goes into these trances, but he's also, he shakes and, you know, at one point it looks like his mouth is foaming, he's foaming but he's yeah. also brushing his teeth, so it's hard to tell what's what. Um, doc, the doctor says he's fine, and there's an interesting scene where the doctor is like, so, um, is basically, is your husband abusive? <laughs> and Wendy's like, I mean... Yeah, but no, we're fine. <laughs> like it's a real weird scene, and I'm like, I don't think doctors even ask that anymore, and they maybe should. Well, you would be obligated to ask that if he saw bruising or right. Yeah, and Danny had hit his head because Jack had shook him. Because mm-hmm. Jack's sort of getting uh, the whole time sort of um, irritable and irritabler. Like he's right. just. We do, that's the other, okay, so, and he, but he does go to AA meetings. He says he goes to them over the CB, or he will go to them over the CB, but he does them over the telephone. We see him talking to his sponsor. Like, we see him doing the work mm-hmm. that a recently dried alcoholic would do. Because he, he's only five months. Since his last relapse. Sober. Although, we have a sense that it's not five months. Wendy thinks it's five months, but when he's asked the question, he does not say five months. And I'm like, Wendy doesn't know the last time he had a drink because he just definitely lied mm-hmm. about it. But it's nice to see that little bit of, they could still get out. Mm-hmm. Like they still have an out. They could right. go to Sidewinder. They could still get out. They could still take, just not go through with the job. And she could go to her mom's. They don't. She doesn't want to do that, but they don't have another place for them to go. Like, they're supposed to live in this place for six months. It's like a sublet, basically. And we don't get that in the, origi- or in the Stanley Kubrick version. Like, it's snowing immediately and we're in it. But mm-hmm. in this one, they have longer time. So you see them acclimating to the hotel and it's starting to get worse. And, oh, well, if you, you know, you still so have the capability all, to get dis- out of here. And... discussions with each other, there always is the option to leave, which mm-hmm. you didn't really get the sense of mm-hmm. in the other film. Mm-hmm. And to the point to 
when it's very obvious that Wendy wants to leave, mm-hmm. her husband does kind of destructive things deliberately to keep yes. him there. And whether and or seems not... seems to be in a fugue state. Like, that's he the doesn't thing. realize that he's doing them. It is. It's an interesting thing because we see him sort of being taunted by ghosts mm-hmm. um, and reacting by destroying things and then finding those destroyed things and instantly blaming other people. And we don't know if that is... This is also a pattern for his behavior in every respect. Right, exactly. So we don't know if it's a sort of a personality thing Mm -hmm. of, well, I didn't do it, so it must have been, and it's always Danny that he's blaming. And I'm like, Danny didn't... Like, he beats the shit out of a CD radio to to smithereens. Mm -hmm. Danny is seven. Well, There's he also no does it with uh, now. What's the name of the game? It's not croquet. It's kind of like a. It's Denver croquet. Okay. It's croquet, but everything's big, twice the size. Right. Yeah. So, and that plays a huge part in this yes. uh, film. But I don't think that Danny could pick up the mallet. It's bigger than it's he big. is, and it's yeah. very heavy. Yeah. So, how he expected him to be able to? Smash yeah. Out no, it, it was wild. And we will say that there are some Stephen King um, recents. Mm-hmm. That make little appearances in this movie. Also, Mick Garris re- recents. Right. Miguel Ferrer is the voice of uh, Ferrer. or Ferrer, excuse me. Okay. Miguel Ferrer is the voice of Jack's dad, who right. is deceased in the film. Was an abusive person, and we don't see him. We only hear him through mm-hmm. a CB. And when we hear him through the CB, is when Jack loses it and destroys the CB. We're watching it, and I was like. Is that not Gail Ferrer? And yeah. then I, but I was like, we just watched a movie with him in it, so I might just have him his yeah. voice in my head. But no, it was that it was, was very him. funny because last night I was running through Amazon and I found an old movie called Deep Star Six. It was a during when the abyss was made. There was a lot of a run of underwater monster underwater movies. Stuff, yeah. And there's Miguel Ferrer. I thought, oh my god, this is just weird. He's, yeah, he's turning in up everywhere. everything. <laughs> and then um, there's a scene. Oh, there's the scene later when Dick gets the call from Danny. Mm-hmm. He's in a cafe in Florida, and his waitress is Shawnee Smith. Acting it up. Act, well, I mean, she, that's what she that's do. Her. But she's, she's only in it for like right. four seconds or something. She has one scene. <laughs> yeah, and, and I don't even think she has a lot. She's flirting with him. Yeah, she is. She <laughs> definitely is. It's I would. Funny. He yeah. looks good. So we do, yeah, we have these little cameos. So the CB is destroyed. The CB mm. is the only way they can contact out because the phone lines are definitely going to go down, and they do. They right. go down basically the same day the CD, CB gets destroyed. Jack also in a fit of either uh, unaware or mm-hmm. aware and then selectively forgotten uh, does a the, does damage to the, the snowcat that would get them out maybe. It's possible that it wouldn't have worked anyways. Like, they might have died if they tried to get out on that thing. Yeah. Yeah. But he makes it so that they can't even do it. But he finds a note there that says, basically, if you leave your post, you won't be welcome back, the management, which is the same style note that is on the alcohol that he finds later. So Mm -hmm. that's a ghost note. That's yeah, a ghost and we, I, I have to say, once they get to the hotel, some of the story follows along the same path as the mm-hmm. Kubrick film. We get less of, and I think that um, it's important to note that the manifestations in the other film, the ghosts are pretty, pretty much people. 
Yes. In this film, they're much less, and they seem to be more. For instance, the woman in uh, with the, the room, seventeen, who's played by Mick Garris's wife, by the yes. way. Yes. The appearance in the original film, when you see uh, Jack encountering her, is she's an old kind of a hag mm -hmm. or crone, is what they're going for. Mm -hmm. In this film, she's a kind of demonic, rotting corpse with horrible eyes and. That's, I think, what they were supposed to be right. going for in the original, too. But when you too. have a person who has a very kind of agnostic view towards the supernatural, mm -hmm. they're going to aid to go strange old crone as opposed to possibly possessed corpse. Yeah, because that's Mizzo. what... Yeah, the, 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 the idea is mm -hmm. she was a beautiful woman who committed suicide in right. the tub and was found later, and so this would be a right. waterlogged corpse, but of a younger person... And they can't show, like in Kubrick's film, in Kubrick's she's film, fully nude. She's fully nude. Right. This is obviously airing on ABC, <laughs> owned by Disney. I don't know if it was owned by Disney then, but it's certainly owned by Disney now. You're not going to see boobs in this movie. Unless but you you're Laura Sanjakoma <laughs> and uh, get pretty damn close to it. So she, and she's only in a couple of. She's not that big of she's a She's not piece. that big a character. Her scene makes quite an impression because the makeup is very startling. Yes. We mentioned uh, how literally she looks like the water around her is decomposed. Like she looks like she's in human soup or something. Yeah. Yes, mm -hmm. it's really. Yeah, it's deeply unsettling. Right. And I was like, oh, did they do that with Saran Wrap? And then you said, yes, right. they, did. That, they, did. they did. that is how they did. That's one of the things it, they did. Uh, the, the practical effects in this movie, where they are, are very mm -hmm. good. There's a lot of doors opening or closing, there's mm -hmm. a lot of. Rocking chairs, rocking or uh, you know porch swings swaying, lights going on to and me, off. To me, the most effective one, and that was the most like an actual poltergeist uh, phenomena. And one day I'll explain to the listeners how I know that was the scene where all the chairs fall down at the same time. Oh yeah, time. at the end of the first episode, episode right. all of the yes, all of the chairs in the dining room are upside down on the tables mm -hmm. for the season, and they all, at the same time, fall off. Which is a, so there's this huge crashing right. noise. And it's not possible to... Without a bunch of people, right. that is not a thing that one person could come in and do. Oh, at the same time, no. So, yeah, that's a deeply unsettling and that's, thing. It's, it's unsettling, and the effect is simple as it must have been. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm sure it was complicated to achieve something that looks relatively simple. Mm. But it is unsettling and creepy, and it reminded me, I think... But, like, if that happened, uh -huh. either there are 50 people here that we can't mm -hmm. find, right? or there's one thing here that we can't see. Right. Like, those are, those are the options, because it's not just, like I said, one person flipping lights on or closing doors or whatever mm -hmm. to, to add eeriness or to make you think that you're going a little insane... All of the, like, there are probably a hundred chairs, maybe more, mm -hmm. in this dining room, and they all go at once. Right. You can't do that well, <laughs> without a gang a, or one big ghost. Uh, the Sixth Sense has a scene where 
mom walks out of the kitchen, she comes back in the kitchen, and everything's upset. Everything's this, upset, yeah. Right, and it has that same effect of, what? wait, what? You're yeah. sort of startled by because it. Because it would take one right. person a long time, and yes. they didn't have a long time. But in this case, it would take a bunch of people, cause, because it mm -hmm. happened all at once and made that one big noise, right. it would take a bunch of people to do it. Yeah, no, creepy. Creepy, creepy, creepy. And that's why I think a lot of the set pieces in here work, and I, I'm glad that they had the time to pull them off. There's... Um, the wasp scene, for instance. Yes, there's a there's a wasp's nest that uh, Jack bombs, and then Danny um, brings into his room, and then all of the wasps reappear. Now he's then gonna he takes pictures because he thinks it was a defective bug bomb, but that's not what mm. happened really. Uh, I forgot about that scene. Yeah, that's good. And then and but at the same time, as Danny's like. Wendy is like, should he have that? That mm -hmm. seems like a dangerous thing to have. Jack is like, of course, I bug bombed it. It's totally fine. It's there's nothing, no, nothing dangerous about it. Danny gets woken up by stings, yeah, because all of these wasps are now in this nest. Um, you know, Wendy gets stung. Jack gets stung before he can kind of cover it and and dispose of it. Then he's taking pictures, and then he like breaks down and. I ruin everything. I can't get anything well, right. And I'm just like, oh. Here's the pattern that I keep seeing with him and what makes him realistic as a character. Yeah. But again, not likable. No. Um, which I think is the reason why this one, in some dramatic senses, works better than the original, mm -hmm. the, the Kubrick film. Mm -hmm. Because I very clearly am on the side of Wendy. Right. And not just because she's... She's Rebecca DeMornay and you're in love with her. Yeah. Rebecca de Mornay, but also because she, when her child is threatened, she stands up to mm -hmm. him. She is not fluttering and mm -mm. screaming and anxious. No, she knows how to hold a knife. That was one of the things that drove me yeah. crazy about watching the other performance is that Shelley Duvall basically looks as if she's on the verge of falling apart every single moment yeah. after the middle of the film. Um so she clearly stands up to him. She's not afraid of getting in his face and no. talking to him about it. Even if she gets knocked down, she... And he's never been... He's never raised right. a hand to her. And mm. I don't think he would dare until he's until deteriorated the to the point where... where... Which happens later in the film, which is a creepy scene where she understands what's going on because there's an elevator that's running up and down by itself. Well, that really explains... I mean, even uh -huh. the very first scene in the elevator really gives you an idea of these two characters, right? Mm -hmm. So... Dick and Jack and Wendy and Danny are all in this very old elevator. Mm -hmm. Okay, it's been there since the beginning of this hotel, basically. And Wendy says, Well, this is the last time all of us are going to be in this elevator at once. And Jack rolls his eyes and he's like, That's just like he's going to say, you know, being over cautious or mm -hmm. overzealous or whatever. Dick is like, Sensible. Yeah. Because if, if this thing goes and you're all in here, there's no one right. who's going to come get you. You just die in this elevator now. So, but he doesn't think that he's, like, he's got that sort of young man's brash, no, no harm can come to me, so. Well, this is kind of, and that's why I wanted to bring up the elevator scene also in the context of the wasp scene. Mm -hmm. Because in both cases, well, in the case of the wasp, he's working on the roof, he discovers the wasps, wasps discovers the wasp's nest yes. underneath the uh, roof shingles. Mm -hmm. 
and he gets stung, and he sits there watching a wasp sting him, daring it to sting him. Yeah, it does. Yeah. And he does that later on when the wasps are again in his uh, son's room. Yeah, but they won't. But it won't sting him, and then he gets really furious because it won't sting him. Yeah. So there's some sort of need in himself, probably from the conversation that we hear with his father, Mm -hmm. installed or instilled that far back, and we got the same thing in the Langoliers, Mm -hmm. where he feels Mm -hmm. like he should be beaten or abused, or he should be. Yeah, it is a very, it does seem like a similar um, abusive father as Mm -hmm. that character from the the Langoliers, yeah. And so he feels like he needs to punish people around him, that everyone else needs to toughen up. And he calls uh, the the one thing that I can't stand in this thing is the use of the phrase pup. Mm-hmm. He just calls Danny a pup whenever he's mad at him. Right. Uh, I don't mind the take your medicine line. Right. That's fine. And it sounds like a thing that people would say. Right. The pup thing doesn't sound. It sounds to me innocent until he starts referring to his wife as the bitch, then the bitch and the pup. Takes yeah, on a different context. I guess like, so. Oh, that's wait. Yeah. No. That's part of a dynamic that's inside of him all this time. All the time, yeah. And the alcohol and whatever else that's pushing him towards it. Right. Is messing with him. Yeah. But the 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 hotel basically mm-hmm. provides him Grady as his bartender, and Grady mm-hmm. is, of course, that that uh, caretaker that died the year before mm-hmm. at his own hand after killing his family, uh, and uh, Jack Daniels, which right. <laughs> has bottles of whiskey. Uh, which, and basically whisper to him, they're turning against you and you're going to have to kill So <laughs> that elevator scene for me, what it tells me is he's willing to dismiss it because he's covering up for what the hotel is doing at this point. Yeah. She... Okay, so what happens in the elevator scene? Floors. Yes. And she climbs uh-huh. up into it, which yeah. I was like, ooh, don't do that. Yes, I know. That whole thing was kind of nerve-wracking to me. I was me. just like, please keep your feet. Uh, and then, yeah, she throws out confetti, glitter, right. yeah, like glitter confetti, um, an, uh, like a party mask, like uh-huh. an eye mask, and panties, a pair, a pair of tap pants. Uh, where they would have come from. Yeah. And that's the, her realization, and that's why it's a big difference, is that here it's now taken for granted halfway through the story, even earlier, this is haunted. Yeah. We're not going to keep trying to pretend that uh, little Jack doesn't, or Danny, I guess, little Danny, yeah. doesn't have powers. Because right. he obviously does. Well, she relies on them. She relies on them. They uh-huh. they open with um, her asking him what happened because he knows. She's right. not asking, what do you think happened? She's asking him what happened. They have some inappropriate conversations with the kid, though. Like, sometimes I'm like, hey, guys. He might have powers, but he's also seven. Right. She she's encouraging him to do remote viewing on his dad. Yeah. And um and but then in that same piece at the very mm-hmm. beginning, uh she says something that's pretty canny. Mm-hmm. And he he's like, Oh, did Danny tell you that too, or whatever? And she goes, Well, it didn't what he has didn't come from nowhere. Right. I've probably got some of it, and you've probably got some of it. And of course that is And at the climax of the film. This unusual climax that this film has, which takes place years afterwards or 10 years later, mm-hmm. she can, to a certain extent, see what's going on. Yeah. Not as fully as the Dick. mysteriously surviving. Yeah. <laughs> he had a cane. <laughs> right. It affected him. That man can't die. But, uh, you know, she's able to see only so far, and Dick is able to see much farther. Yeah. 
But I like that too because yes, yeah, she's intuitive. She's yeah. not to the degree because as Dick tells Danny, you know, he's not even you're a, a pistol. pistol. You're an atomic bomb. An atomic bomb, yeah. So and the the hotel is magnifying him, yeah. and he's magnifying the hotel, which so, is why there are things that now can touch and show up in the mm-hmm. real world that they don't be. They're more than pictures in a book because Danny is like a battery. Right, and this is like a radio dish. Yeah. So he's broadcasting from a, you know, a tower, and he's spreading it wide and far. Yeah, and so Danny, at the beginning of the third episode, sends out an SOS. Mm-hmm. Uh, the CB is broken. Um, Jack has said that the park rangers will come and check on them right. um, Christmas, New Year's at the latest. I don't know if that's a lie that he has told, or if they do expect that. Um, I can't remember if it was set up as a thing that would happen or not. But he definitely tells Wendy with authority. And Wendy's like, where the fuck are they? Because Wendy's like, we're leaving. Mm-hmm. Danny and I, you can do whatever She's you want. at this point. We're yeah. going. Because it's the not safe haunted. here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and she's very well aware And of that. you're getting worse. There's a scene that plays out really well with, and I know that we talked about that with the other film, the lawn animals. Yes. So in this movie, instead uh-huh. of a maze, yes. they have these topiary animals. And Which is in the book. I would say 75, per, and I think what the Stanley mm-hmm. might actually have. Yeah. Um, 75% of the stuff with the animals works. And a lot of it, the first scene that we have with the animals, they are weeping angels, mm-hmm. basically. If you've seen Doctor Who... They, well, they're stationary, and the, the, the suggestion that they're moving is done by editing. It's done by editing. And by cutting, and I think that was the best thing. Yeah. There's one scene where you see them creep over the snow towards De- uh, Danny. That's the most effective yeah. scene. There's a couple of scenes later on where they're very obviously early CGI. Yes. Much better than the Langoliers, I will say. Better than the Langoliers. I think a lot of what's mm-hmm. done with them is either, yes, they've moved closer when we weren't looking and they're right. not moving now. They're still just bushes, yeah. but they are in a different place. And I'm certain the Weeping Angels or they as just a character don't have bother, or as a creation borrows, borrows from, from them. Because so it was done very well. If he's looking at them, they're mm-hmm. they're they're there and they're fine. But as soon as he looks away, then when he looks back, they're closer to him. And it isn't until the climax that you actually see them moving. Moving, right. And then it has the effect of being shocking to and everyone. And some of them, some of the, the scare with them is just everything's covered in snow. Right. But this thing isn't. Yeah. That's unnerving, too. And that's how she's able to, because there's a scene very early on where she gets the idea that something's happening with Danny. He's mm-hmm. out playing in the snow. Mm-hmm. The creatures, the the topiary is creeping up on him. That's on the that's at the end of the the beginning of the third part. Right. Yeah. But that scene in it is where it crosses over and attacks her physically. Oh yes. It throws a croquet ball at her. Yes. These giant croquet balls, which is almost the size of like a soccer ball. It's a little bit smaller. Yeah, they're well. And it's solid like, wood too. Yeah, it's solid wood. And that so. comes in handy very later on in yeah. the climax. But it knocks her down. And and the, the 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 stunt work there because you're not expecting to see it yeah. just bowler over like that. It's kind of startling. Like oh my god, how did she not break her hip? Right. Um, but yeah, by that point she's breaking windows and everyone's yes. going a little bit nuts and it becomes a very kind of physical adventure they're having. They lock him in the pantry uh-huh. at one point and then of course the hotel lets him out. Right. Um, it's the freezer I think in the other one, but it's the pantry in this mm-hmm. one, and. 
you know, Danny is called for help. This is um, January 4th. He calls for help. Mm-hmm. January 5th is the last day. So yeah. he waits. Uh, but when he calls for help, Dick, in, in uh, like I said, a diner in Florida. Florida, is knocked to the ground and then cannot regain himself mm-hmm. for a time. That's when it's with Shawnee Smith. And he's like, oh, what did I do? I should not have left right. him there. I fucked up. I fucked up. He tries to get a flight. He misses his flight. So he doesn't fly in until the following day. And he's like, well, I hope they're not all dead. And then he um, gets a, he rents a snowcat basically at Sidewinder. The person who gives it to them, who mm-hmm. gives it to him is like, you're not going to make it. It's <laughs> a mighty fine American. <laughs> he's like, I appreciate your optimism and you are one. Yeah. I don't know what he said. Something, something MFA. MFA, mighty fine American. That's not what that means. That means motherfucking asshole. <laughs> uh, and he goes, and we start seeing him tool up to the thing. Right. And then, meanwhile, Stephen Weber, or you know Jack Torrance, he is drinking, full on mm-hmm. drinking. He's probably had what two, three bottles of liquor at this point. Yeah. He's just keeps finding bottles of liquor, uh, and the. Ghosts. He he has a whole, there's a whole ball scene. This is where we mm-hmm. have our Stephen King cameo. Right. He is uh, the band leader, really yucking it up. Seems to be having a very good time. The ball is populated by uh, people with zombie makeup on. They're, it's a dead man's party. It's it's a dead man's party. <laughs> it is. They are blackened That's in the cheeks and across the. The foreheads uh-huh. in a very... Very Halloween. Yes, kind of. Halloween makeup way. Right. The um, dead Andrew sisters were my favorite. And, <laughs> and at this point, guy. Jack has found a bunch of historical documents mm-hmm. and now doesn't... It hasn't been working on his play, which Danny tells Wendy. He's, mm-hmm. He's not working on his play anymore. Um, and he wants to write a book about the Overlook, which... On its face, it's not a terrible no, idea. No, not at all. But so he is obsessed with these historical figures. Yeah, he also knows that uh, his employer probably won't like this because the overlook is unsavory. Yes, to say there the has been many, many a death uh, and uh, bad thing happened. Mutilation, mutilation, death, murder, uh, the murder of a um, a gangster, a which gangster, and his Dan is able to overhear at yes. one point. Yeah. In one of the rooms. That mm-hmm. happens in the very first episode. But, like, he is starstruck when he sees Horace Derwent, who is the mm-hmm. man who made the Overlook the Overlook uh, in the 30s uh, at this ball. But still has this attitude of, I'm the greatest that ever was. Like, he has yeah. this really puffed up sense of self. But this whole I time. really feel that that helps me understand him as a character, why he does the dumb things that he does. Yeah. Because he he really does seem to, again, this sort of sense of entitlement. Why aren't people listening to me? Why aren't I more famous than I should be? Why am I doing this stupid job teaching kids? Well, and he resents the rich kids, Mm -hmm. so he beats them up. Um, Yeah. He resents his wife, so he Why not me? Why not me? Well, I don't think... Well, yeah, eventually. He hits her in the knee with a croquet mallet, which I was like... Okay, so this is also (laughs) something that I liked and I think it might be just that Rebecca de Mornay is a more athletic actress. Although she kept losing her limp in that scene in the hallway. I was like, girl, you can't do this backwards on this forward. Like, it doesn't work that way. (laughs) She really does do a great job of getting the physicality of this back and forth. And her fights with 
Stephen Weber really look like they're trying to hurt each other. Yeah. I win. I was like, every if time she gets close mallet. to his face, uh-huh. she's gonna grab his hair like like in a fucking yeah. girl fight and just not let go. You know what I mean? Like just that fist of like mm-hmm. <laughs> like, they really look like they're going no, at it. She's and, like, I will fuck you up mm. if you, you this it. Yeah. We've gone too far. The and the other thing is Danny keeps saying it's not him, it's the hotel. Mm-hmm. It's not him, it's the hotel. And she she actually sees that too. She's like, first of all, when you drink and you talk this way, it's not you. Right. It's your dad, right? Yeah. The pup thing, the take your medicine thing, that's all his dad, right? Mm-hmm. He's just a channel for that. And then the hotel is just amplifying that. And so she keeps saying, this isn't, I know this isn't you. Mm-hmm. I know that this is the hotel. You, you're, you're in there. I know you are. And you're stronger than this. And you yeah. can break out. And he can't until the end when he can't. <laughs> and this is, that, that's actually something I credit him with is that he had to play out this climax for about half an hour. Mm-hmm. It's not the climax where Jack Nicholson goes nuts and there's mm-hmm. no redeemable factor. Mm-hmm. He's just going to go nuts. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, Here, no, he has there's to switch a... gears back and yes. forth between he's there, he's not, he's there, he's not. Yeah. And it becomes a more compelling story because there's this attempt, especially by Danny, to save Jack. To save his dad, yeah. And and that works really well yeah. because you're watching Stephen Weber switch gears and even yeah. in the same scene, which is hard to do. Yes, it is. Uh, so Dick finally makes it up to the... Mm-hmm. Finally. Finally. We see him <laughs> There's a lot of driving. drama involving him trying to get And then there. like, yeah, we'll, we'll be in the hotel for 10 minutes and right. then then we see the snowcat again. do 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 still going up. Still, he's, gonna get, he's still coming. He's still going to make it. And he pulls up in front and he goes into the hotel and he... Um, he he is seen by Wendy first. Mm-hmm. So in, if you'll rec- this is I do want to talk about this a little bit. Mm-hmm. If you'll recall the Stanley Kubrick movie, he, fucking Scatman basically walks in and is immediately axed to death by right. Jack. You he gets. I'm like this is a man with some semblance of The Shining, right? right. So how did he not know to I don't know duck or right. not come in fucking all loud and shit? So. So Dick is seeing Wendy sees him and she's like, oh my God. And he's like, we gotta go. Mm-hmm. We gotta go. We gotta like go now. And she's like, okay, I don't know where Danny is. That's the other thing. Wendy knows that this hotel is having bad effects on both her husband and her son. Yeah. And Danny is by himself way too goddamn much. <laughs> Just like, Wendy, put a leash on him and go where he goes. Why do you ever not like after I think Especially after the dining room chair issue, right. I'm never not you're you're in my eye line at all times. The, there's no yeah. off on your own, and, and it continues. He keeps being off on his own, and I'm just like, what are See, we I doing? Think that in that sense, the Kubrick film does do a better job of everyone's denying in denial up until the last yes. minute, and that's why you let your kid wander around his big wheel around the. I'm the just hotel. like, but yeah, this put version. Your kid tie yourself right. to him and always be around. Now that him. you found somebody's mysterious panties in the elevator, yeah. you really should not be. No, my kid's never going to be by himself. Well, nothing could happen. And he to can him. hate me for it, but right. I don't care. Until we're out of this hotel, yeah. uh, you are in with not even just with an eye eye eyesight. Mm-hmm. I need need to be able to touch you without right. leaning too far away. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, you need to be close to me. What? Why is he just elsewhere? Yeah, that was just like, you don't need that many naps, Wendy. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. You need to get up. At one point, I was like, do not just wander around in a robe. 
that's not good. When mm-hmm. they knock Jack out and put it, lock him up, he, she is just wearing a robe. To her credit, though, <laughs> later on she does change into... She does. She wears some pants and uh, actual clothes. I think that really fits for the sort of action stuff they do at the yeah. end. Yeah, yeah. So Dick is uh, set upon by Jack and is knocked down. He is hit in the back and then in the head with mm-hmm. this croquet mallet. And I was like, oh, no, they killed him again. They did it, y'all. They didn't. They didn't do Dick dirty. So Wendy, like... <laughs> <laughs> makes him wake Sounds up like and is marquee. able to wake him up. And then she's like, okay, well, we got to go, but I don't know where Danny is. We got to get Danny. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, that's wild. And meanwhile, like, Jack will be attacking one person in the hotel will be like, the boy is more important. And then so he leaves who he's yeah. attacking and then goes. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, Wendy, only by the grace of this hotel are you alive. Right. Because Jack was about to bash her head in when Grady is like, you got to go deal with your child. Mm-hmm. Who was, I don't know, yelling help, I think, at the time. And so they go and try and find Danny. And they end up finding him. And she's and he's like, uh, I forgot I remember what everyone else forgot. The boiler. And and Dick is like, we gotta go now because he has not dumped the boiler today. It is, we keep getting flashes also. While we're seeing him drive up, we're also seeing the boiler yeah. pressure go up, 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 up. Um, the what Pete was said he wouldn't stand next to it if it was over one twenty. Uh, red is one eighty. It's into one eighty at this that, point. That red wedge to let you know when you're in trouble. Well, I mean that that is what a boiler mm-hmm. yeah. thing looks like. Uh, and the ghost has not remembered that this is a thing that needs to happen, or else there will be a big explosion. Uh, and so it. When it hears him say that, it steers Stephen Weber back. And meanwhile, Danny is like, Daddy, you can you can stop this from mm-hmm. happening. Now we gotta go. Bye. And Dick and Wendy and Jack or and uh, Danny all get in the snowcat and are like driving down, <laughs> driving away from the thing when Stephen Weber is or uh, Jack is having his come to Jesus moment with the ghosts where right. he kind of breaks back through where he's himself and he's like so he a very stops amusing scene of the ghost trying to, trying to turn to, pressure valve so he's turning it at their behest and then mm. he like fights himself and lets go and steps back and he's mm. like I'm not doing it and he is kind of communicating with right. Danny at that point like like I love you and I'm sorry and this is all I can do yeah. is nothing. Basically, he's doing the very least that he can do, which is to stand there and watch and have this thing explode. Sometimes yeah, the ghost you just of have Grady, to stand, as we've learned from Stephen. <laughs> that's right. The ghost of Grady and the ghost of what was his name? Her, her, Derwent. Derwent. Mm-hmm. I've forgotten. Horace Derwent, yes, are standing there and they're trying to turn the valves in their ghosts. That, that and so they just go through almost it. Almost comical. Which like is pretty good. Yeah. And uh, and then the thing explodes. And then kaboomy. And then the hotel goes up as though they've been letting in gas through all the vents. Mm. Like, just the air in the different hallways just ignites. <laughs> I, I don't know if that was the thing, if there's supposed to be some sort of uh, gas heating system that also goes up. I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't it, think so, but that's what it was. like, like self-destruct button. Damn. <laughs> yeah, no. It wasn't going to just be a small explosion and be mm-hmm. contained in the middle. No, 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 no. 
every piece of this hotel is going to be on it's fire. It's like the end of a Bond film or something when it's, everything blows up at the end. Like, why? Just just don't ask. Um, but that scene is really nice. Steven mm-hmm. Weber does a very nice job mm-hmm. sort of coming back to himself, realizing that, you know, mm-hmm. what he needs to do is nothing. And he is to blame for this, and now he can do something to sort of fix it. Right. Uh, and then we get a 10 years into the future thing wherein Danny is graduating from high school and he is now played by the guy that had been played by or played Tony mm-hmm. in the Tony bits. And uh, Halloran shows up late, running with a cane, which is a good look. It's very much like <laughs> like, uh, like Wendy. He kind of forgets when he's supposed to use the he's Well, the no, I don't, think, I don't think that's it. And I mean, I use a cane... Sometimes mm. I was like, I feel like that's foresight. Like I'm gonna book it up this hill, and then my hip is gonna require me to use this cane right. after that. Um, and after he gets his diploma, he s- sort of stands there and is f- like frozen on stage, and he sees the ghost of his dad, mm-hmm. who's like proud of him. Oh, this it's is really what nice. Kubrick was talking about: optimism. Yeah, uh, yeah, right. The optimism of, of ghosts. And then we go back and we see the remnants mm-hmm. of the hotel. Right. Um, which is being rebuilt, I guess. Yeah, it, it look, there's a sign telling us that it's going to be rebuilt. And then. Um, and the ghosts are sort of like we see a ghostly overlay of the original right. out, uh, you know, hotel. Uh, and my favorite part is the mini Stanley. Mm-hmm. Uh, and how that was also burnt up, <laughs> which I don't know how that happened. <laughs> it was a very powerful gas ma- uh, explosion, I guess. I guess so. Well, so, if it was the heating system, maybe mm-hmm. the mini one had a little tiny yeah, heating a little system. Like a little... <laughs> I had a, and this is something I wanted to bring up to you that it, it gives you an idea of the changing status of Stephen King. All right, cool. Right? Uh, I have in my hands a book, the first edition of a, a, a book, uh, Connoisseur's Guide to Horror, by Leonard Wolf, who was a an author who, from, uh, appropriately enough, he was Romanian, and he was famous for translating uh, Frankenstein and Dracula, he, doing annotated volumes of them, and also translating their work into his native language and all. And I read this comment about Stephen King, and this was in the connection with the book It. Okay. Right? So again, considering when this was done, um, in it, a sprawling novel meant to be an epic of the horror genre, the reader commits the, uh, confronts the unusual problem of Stephen King's fiction. What kind of writer is Stephen King? On the one hand, he has a God-given gift for knowing what his um, story is and how to move it along. He can, when he is at his best, write unsurpassed descriptions of texture and place, but then when he is at his worst, that is when he is writing about people, he can wield the wretchedest pen that ever committed English prose to paper, which is an amazingly harsh criticism. See, that's really interesting. This was the, now, this was the common complaint when I was, you know, turning my nose up at him. Rude. Uh, way back in the day. Uh, this also contains the complaint. Now, Leonard Wolf, the author, should not be taken at face value all the time because he also highly recommends authors like T.E.D. Klein, who's very famous for his very casual racism. Oh, cool. But, um, but... Uh, so he thinks plot good, people bad. He thinks that works 
with all of King's work. Huh. That is wild. I deeply disagree with mm-hmm. that. <laughs> See, and this is uh, his criticism of The Shining, which in, in, he doesn't criticize the novel, he's criticizing the film. Okay. He says, uh, Kubrick's problem is he has to fight the novel on which the movie is based. Stephen King's The Shining has a fascinating plot and thinly imagined characters. That combination generally satisfies King's readers. It does not serve Kubrick well. Okay. So yeah, his, no. His continuous complaint is that King's fault is that he makes great plots and really poorly designed characters. I think that Which that's... I felt, having seen this one, I had much more of a sense of the characters. I know that guy. Yeah. I know that. No, I don't want to I... know him, but I do. I, d- I think that that's... First of all, I want to mm. I want to make a quick um, mm-hmm. sort of mea culpa. I had said that the outside of the overlook in the Kubrick version mm. was the Stanley, but it is not. It's the Timberline Lodge in Oregon, okay. uh, and the inside, as we said, all sets. Um, yeah, no, that's that might be true in his short stories, mm-hmm. but. I would argue that the one of the reasons that King has problems with endings, um, notoriously and um, in a self-parodying type way, <laughs> given what happened in it, chapter two, mm-hmm. uh, is that he writes good characters that he doesn't want to say goodbye to. Right. Now, does he a lot of times use? almost stereotypical brushstrokes. Yes, yeah. he'll start there because mm-hmm. that's how you get the broad idea of a person. And then he builds up these people. Like, this is also, I think, this was written in the 80s, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. I would say that probably his strongest character work for me uh-huh. are like the Mr. Mercedes trilogy. Well, there, this is, the, yeah, much yeah. later on. So, yeah, significantly later. And that comes obviously with the growth of a writer and practice. And Lord knows if anyone's had practice at writing, it's fucking Stephen King. <laughs> but yeah, no, I don't. I I don't agree with him. Actually, agree with him. I do agree with him in terms of uh-huh. a lot of his female characters are pretty broadly drawn, but I think a lot of his male characters are. Right. Something that also that I should bring to your attention very quickly is when he's describing the Kubrick film. Mm-hmm. Both Danny Lloyd as Danny and Scatman Crothers as Halloran turn into impeccable performances. Lloyd is especially good and understands for Kubrick, or understands, or Kubrick helped him to understand the beautiful uses of understatement. And so that's See, in direct contradiction of what you... It's I, not, though. It but, isn't. He is seeing a child acting in an understated way. Mm-hmm. I am seeing a child who doesn't know what acting is. <laughs> we are seeing the same thing mm-hmm. and interpreting it va- in vastly now, different ways. I will and say I don't... the difference with this performance is this is a child actor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he's This acting. is a child who can mm-hmm. go on stage and do uh, Shakespeare, yeah. <laughs> I think. Yeah, he, this kid He has could. his lines this memorized, kid, mm-hmm. he hits his marks. The, and he was given much more to do. Right. The actor, the Kubrick film, is a non-actor who is coached through all of his performance. Mm-hmm. And so that's different. And the expectations were different because Danny is pretty much, um, he and Wendy are the main characters of this story. Yes. Whereas Jack is the main character of Kubrick's film. I would agree with that, yes. 
I mean, uh, there. I mean, even Rebecca De Mornay. I mean, granted, she was more famous than Stephen mm-hmm. Weber, but she got top billing in this. Well, movie. Rebecca De Mornay is responsible for getting him the part too. Yeah, yeah. Because apparently there were other actors reached out to, and they were not. There was a ton of like they couldn't find right. a they Jack couldn't find for somebody a long who was time. willing to take on that performance. That's interesting. And you have to think of it not as in terms of I'm doing Jack Nicholson's part. Do what Heath Ledger did. Just said I'm doing Just, a different. I'm doing of, Jack Torrance. Jack. Yeah, right. I'm not. I can't. You can't. If, and and nobody involved in this production mm-hmm. wanted a Jack Nicholson right and I'll, performance and I'll because tell you, one of the big uh, problems with the people who made for the people who made this version was that it was Jack Nicholson and he was hired to do the so thing. This was a big deal when it was on television. I remember it. Uh, and there was an article in TV Guide, one of which uh, was very controversial because there were some lost parts of the actual manuscript of Shining uh, that turned up and were reprinted in a bridge form in TV Guide. Mm, and got about the history of the hotel. And it got very angry written complaints Two TV guys saying, oh my God, what are you doing? You're publishing a Stephen King short story, pretty much, mm-hmm. in TV Guide about rape and castration and murder, and this is a family magazine, what are you doing? And I can question whether or not that decision was kind of accurate. TV yeah. Guide is probably, right. at, everyone has access to it in their home, and they probably weren't expecting to read that kind yeah, of Yeah, you got to put a content warning, but this right. is a time before that was a thing. But there was a very interesting article on the making of this film, uh-huh. and the only person who goes and mentions the previous movie was Cortland Mead, because he did not know not to say it. So oh, he goes on to say, well, Mick Harris... Or, or Stephen King says he doesn't want this to be about some big movie star going crazy. And, and the interviewer... Get it, kid. You're a child. <laughs> and from the mouths of babes. He went with it's, that. He's right. And that's right. right. They wanted somebody not as well known and certainly mm-hmm. not known for being yeah. unhinged, which Jack Nicholson was and is known. He can do it. Yes, of course he can. Mm-hmm. But as soon as we see him, we're like, oh, this dude's... Fucking three quarters of the way there already. Right. You don't get that from Stephen Weber. You get it in little pieces where you're like, oh, like well, you there's this edge to he's him. He's just a jerk. Yes. And you can tell that it wouldn't take much to push him into right. being more than a jerk. And so when he does things that are kind of unconscionable or he says things that are really offensive, you're thinking you still want to like him, but you know that this is a part of him. Yeah. And people now mm-hmm. criticize this version. Okay, I know at the time it was, but very at the successful. time it was successful. Mm-hmm. The TV Guide gave it a ten out of ten. Yeah, the the pacing was highlighted. Mm-hmm. I think it. I think now I think it could be three hours, but four and a half was right. If they'd done mm-hmm. another hour and a half, it would have been too long, and only three. You know, only two episodes. Like, I think it needed an hour less than this, but mm-hmm. that's fine. Um, but it moved at such a pace it that did. It, it... And it was constantly... That's the thing, too, is feel like wherever was there out. was something, you were getting something. So mm-hmm. even on scenes of the hotel, you're seeing doors closing. You're seeing rocking. Right. You're seeing that things are not right. Um, it won Primetime Emmy Awards for Outstanding Makeup and Outstanding Sound Editing for a miniseries or special. It was nominated for Outstanding Miniseries, but it lost. Um, it won two Saturn Awards for Best Single Genre Television Series or Television Presentation and Best Genre TV Actor for Steven Weber. Cortland Mead was nominated for Young Artist Award. So, I mean, 
there was a lot of praise at the time. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of not not nice things out there as well. So what is the criticism that people have about Drew the... Grant of The Observer in, 19, in 2014, mm -hmm. as much as I don't like The Observer and anything about it, but that's fine, mm -hmm. ranks the miniseries as the worst made-for-TV King adaptation of all time, going so far as to describe it as a crap fest. He clearly never saw the Langoliers. <laughs> Which to me I, still I, is my least favorite there thing. There is a lot of good in this, and I don't. I actually, here we go. And I would watch I, this again. Yes. I would watch this. I, I would watch this again, and then I would watch Dr. Sleep. Right. I would watch it. To me, it actually was more successful than The Stand. And possibly because it was less ambitious than The also, Stand. Also, yeah, shorter. And so you didn't have to juggle all these characters. Mm -hmm. You didn't have to breathe at them. You didn't have to go back and go, wait, who's this guy? And what are they yeah, doing? Yeah, there's a, there was a lot of... It's easier here. with three characters what or four characters. is that there was a lot of acting, a lot of performances where people are Rebecca De Mornay and Stephen Weber and Cortland Mead are all acting together. There's a that elevator scene that I described earlier. There's... Wendy crawling in the elevator to prove that she's right. Yes. There is Jack angry at her, shoving her around. Mm -hmm. And there's Danny, who you think wouldn't hold his own with these two, but then putting on a mask because he wants to be somebody else. Yeah, and that, that was, was a pretty heartbreaking, heartbreaking line. <laughs> it's like, I yeah. need to be somebody else because I don't like being here. Yeah, because it's easier to be somebody else right. when daddy is pushing and, and you're yelling. Right. Yeah. And so even though we're on Wendy's side, we kind of start realizing, oh, wait. Because, the, the, and there are, there mm. were like at least four points in this, in this movie where I wanted to just look at these adults and be like, you're having a conversation right. with a seven-year-old. Well, the ex yeah, the extent and to I which And I understand she, that he knows more than he should. Right. You don't need to do that to your child. But I, she boosts herself into the elevator and creeps around and puts herself in that much danger just to prove her point. Just to get her... I, the, but not even that stuff. Right. I mean, there were like, is your dad drinking? Mm. Hey, hey. Hey, right. he's seven. You don't need to put that pressure on him. He already knows these things. He doesn't want to. You and don't need to be instigating his spying on his father, as you said before. That's wildly inappropriate. There was a line in this uh, at the end, like the uh, resolution scene, where Dick asks Wendy, is there a man in your life? the most important question after 10 years, and she says, mm. no, the only man in my life... Is Danny. Is Danny. Is up there, yeah. And so... And I was like, ugh, still not appropriate. That, yeah, it still feels like, here's this... Because that's also still not uh, a man. Right. He's 17 or 18 or whatever. You're too much on him. Yeah. And here he is, and here, there you are, a remarkably beautiful woman who's just like, no, I'm going to shut myself off to the world mm -hmm. because this is the only thing that matters, and what you're doing to him by doing that yeah, also is mm -mm. kind of... Uh, nuts. Yeah, I don't... I, there was some very inappropriate things between... She puts a lot on him. Parents and child in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> and I understand parenting is hard, navigating is hard, especially parenting a, a, you know, a psychic child is hard, but like, no. He's not your best friend. Mm -hmm. He's not the only man in your life. He's your son. He's your child. Right. <laughs> like, like, stop it. Stop it. All right, so I recommend this movie. I think that yeah. you should seek it out and check it out. I, it I is it really worth is, watching. I really, I appreciate what Probably they did. Probably in at least two days, though, because it is long. Yeah. Four and a half hours is a long time. I, I really like, to me, there was a lot of improvements 
over the Kubrick film. There were some things I wish they'd done differently, mm -hmm. but that's the hotel. I think is the only thing that um, well, not the only thing is one of the things that it, by using that enormous set, yeah, it really it was bigger, and so we don't have that incredibly creepy image of wandering around these empty hallways because the sets are constructed more like an actual hotel or small. But also, they kept saying, and this mm -hmm. is true, he shouldn't have been wandering around yeah. those hotels. He was. That's the other thing is, we see Jack doing actual caretaking work, right. which we never see in the in the uh, in the Kubrick version. Mm -hmm. um, and then, yeah, his his ex expectation that his wife and child will be this like so um, respectful of his job. I'm like, well, they didn't. They didn't it's not their job. This. Like, right. yeah, like no, they shouldn't be del deliberately. Are hurting things or breaking things, mm -hmm. but also like they're not the caretaker. You are. <laughs> well, at, at the risk of being that kind of person that everyone hates, I really like both versions of this. That's fine. I, it's uh, I know people. It seems like there's a lot of bifurcation with fans. I don't dislike fan, the original, of, the original stuff. thing, but I yeah. do have big problems with it. Well, I think this one makes it's a more of a dramatic film. And I think it also, a lot of the loose ends that don't make sense when you abbreviate the story to fit into three hours make sense when you let it run yeah. at Yeah, point. it was nice to see them at the beginning getting off the thing. And mm -hmm. it is nice to see him, like he's typing at night when Danny's going to bed. So that's when he's doing his writing work. During mm -hmm. the day, he is doing the business of caretaking, which, right. like I said, you never, not once, see Jack Nicholson doing mm -hmm. a lick of fucking caretaking in in the Kubrick version. I'm like, so he's just there? Yeah. Like, to, like really? Meanwhile, yeah, Stephen Web Weber's Jack is up on the roof. He's cleaning out gutters. Mm -hmm. He's She is washing windows at one point, and I'm like, why are you doing this? Not your job. <laughs> mm. That's fine. But he's cleaning. He's fixing things. He's caretaking the property, which is what he's been hired to do. All you ever see Jack Nicholson doing is sitting in that big ass room with right. the typewriter. And I'm like, that's not what you're getting paid for, dude. Yeah, and I think that's, <laughs> that was the main difference. The the cinematic version, it feels like a big monster eating you. Don't quite feel that way with this hotel, but you're much more aware of the tenants of it. I think in this yeah. version. Yeah. No, it felt more like. It felt more claustrophobic for some it, it reason. It felt to me like there was a reason right. for them to be there. It that's the pro, that's one of the problems with The Shining mm -hmm. that I had the, the Kubrick version of The Shining. Like, why are they here? He's not dumping the boiler. That's mm -hmm. obviously not a thing right. that they care about. He's not doing any fixing of the property. He's babysitting. That's it. That seems yeah like a waste of six months worth of salary. Like what? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Was he just planning to do it all Strangely in the last enough, month? I, I don't it, know. I still think it's a dream job, but that's just me. Right. Even if you are caretaking the property, mm. you probably are not spending you know eight hours a day doing do it. In, yes. <laughs> it's just, I know. It seems I would be... In a heartbeat. Honestly, I would, just, I, would, I, would, I would stay at the Stanley Hotel <laughs> over the winter. I 100% would do Stanley that. Stanley Hotel is haunted, so... And that's fine. Spooky, but yeah. I don't have The Shining, so let's go. Okay. <laughs> yeah, six months where I don't have to deal with people. And there's cable now mm. and internet, so right. we'll be fine. You know that they wired that internet under the ground. There's internet. It's fine. I'll watch every show on Netflix. I'll just come out and be like, I got to the end of Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, 
Next week, we are watching Trucks. I believe it is available on Amazon Prime. I know literally nothing about it. Well, we've seen a version of it. Except there are trucks in it. It's not... It's based on a short story called Trucks, which Maximum Overdrive is not. So well, I mean, but it's a similar... It's, it's I believe it is a similar conceit, I but it is in, not... Uh, the impression that it was based on a short... That Maximum Overdrive is based on a short story. I don't... Let me see. It is, ooh, a Canadian and American television horror story. Oh, no, it is. Yes. Source material. Based on the same source material. So mm-hmm. there we are. But this is in Nevada, which is not where the other one takes place. Has Timothy Busfield in it, who I enjoy very much. So, that's next week. In the meantime, do you have anything else that you might want to recommend to our listeners? Oh my God, I'm trying to remember. You went camping instead of going to a movie this weekend. But I'm, I <laughs> think I would recommend, being that it just really got done weirdly by the Oscars this year, Little Women. Okay. I was surprised by how much I enjoyed that movie. It's not a, a strict adaptation in the sense of adaptations. There have been many, many, many adaptations, including a 50-part anime. Um, Good grief. But, That's uh, a lot of parts. Yeah. Um, I, I really enjoyed it, and it was an amazing cast of actors. Yeah, the cast is pretty spectacular. Including, and I forget her name, Pew. Um, Oh, Florence. Who I'm From really glad that she, yes, that she has a range beyond sitting in corners and weeping because that was a lot of Midsummer. I will tell you, if you want to hire somebody who will make your audience cry mm-hmm. because of her ability to um, project real grief, she's an excellent choice. Yeah, I, I, so I understand that it's not going to be the, the exact same story that other people remember because Greta Gerwig does a an interesting job of jumping backward and forward in time. Oh, interesting. And, uh, I, I've never read Little Women, mm-hmm. and I've never seen a Little Women adaptation. So. She's taking the later years and the early years where all the sisters are living together in poverty in an attic mm. and intercutting it with their lives as after they're trying they left to, that attic. Right. And almost playing it as if memories. What are they all regretting that they've lost, and what are they all have they all moved on to? Mm-hmm. But it feels very authentic. It was shot, uh, I think, in and around the actual Louise May Alcott's house. Oh, and that's so cool. there's a lot of authenticity in terms of period and in costume and just really great casting. And seeing how the director was so strangely excluded from yeah, the nomination. We're uh, the day of the Oscar uh, nominations, and mm-hmm. it's uh, terrible. We didn't watch the Golden Globes, and I probably will not watch the Oscars. I don't even know who's hosting it, but... um. Yeah, a lot of things. A lot of things. Maybe we'll we'll have an episode about the Oscars and why it's trash. Maybe they'll hire Ricky Gervais as a host, and then Ugh, I really won't watch it. Give it a miss. God, yeah, mm. I can't. I, the fact I don't like him. I know. But the idea that he then told the people receiving awards not to be political in their speeches and to get over it—it's like that's not your place. I don't understand exactly why you thought you would be able to do that, but yeah. Can't stand him. Don't like the show. So what would you recommend? I would recommend the Watchmen miniseries on HBO. We're late to the party. Um, 
Yeah. We watched the whole thing. It's extraordinary. It's very, very good. You remembered more. We've both read the mm-hmm. uh, graphic novel and seen the movie. Yeah, the, the, I remembered yeah. almost none of either of those things. So I was going in pretty blind. If Even if you don't know the story, you're fine. Yeah, you I don't you think, can enjoy this. I think the it's a sequel, effectively. It is. So I think that you're... But they give enough they give in enough, the um, telling of this story, I think, that you don't need to know the stories that came before. It right. can't hurt. It can't hurt, and I think there's one character who I mean, is... watching the entire sex scene from that mm. movie can hurt you. I think it can leave you deeply scarred. Uh, there, uh, y'all, it's the Leonard Cohen version of Hallelujah, the entire thing. <laughs> And a sex scene at the same time. That song is like six minutes long. It's rough. Well, I, I think <laughs> that the only thing that you would miss is that there's a character who, by the sequel, is already dead. He died in the original. And his legacy is left behind. Oh, we're talking about Warshak here? Mm-hmm. Yes. And so that might be the only thing that you would need to know from the other one. Yeah, other maybe. Film or because story. I couldn't remember his mm-hmm. storyline. So I was like, I understood what was happening mm-hmm. with. His legacy, but right. I didn't know why. I like I I that is a, a hanging mm-hmm. thread for me where I'm like, well, I don't know why they were assholes. <laughs> like I don't know why. Um. So yes, I guess that's true. So that's then watch it. the the Watchmen right. movie. It'll give you. Well, they they don't. This story takes place as a sequel to the book mm-hmm. because there's a. There's a specific thing that does not happen in the movie, the movie that right. is the climax of the book. They just were like, we're not, we can't. I think it was a lot of people just going, if we put this on screen, we can't get it, we can't get it right. Well, right. Which, and so we're not going to. And I will refer to refer you to Stanley Kubrick saying, there's no way to make that topiary look scary. Mm-hmm. And he tried his damnedest, apparently. Mm-hmm. Everything from puppeteering to animatronics to stop-motion animation, yeah. he could not get it to look just right. So he said, wisely, that I'm not going to try We're not doing it. that, yeah. You no, know, that's fair. And that, I, I think directed is... 2001, damn it. Yeah. If I can make it look good, I'll make it look good. If I can still look crappy, then there's been hundreds of crappy-looking special effects in horror movies. I'm not going to do it. And I think that... Yeah, yes, I think that they were like... They what? tried it a bunch of ways, and they were like, "We're we're not. Right. We not, have to do it. We, we have to go a different way. Make it look anything other than ridiculous." Yeah, yeah. So, but they, but that thing is a thing that happened in the story that we're that watching. Here. Um, but it's got Regina King in it, and she's great in mm-hmm. literally everything, y'all. Literally, if you see her name in a thing, just watch it. It's gonna be good, and she's gonna be spectacular. Uh, it also has. Um, is it Tim Blake Nelson? Is that his name? Who am I thinking of? Uh, the um, mirror face. Yeah, that's so strange to look up right now. And Gene Smart. And Gene Smart's in it, who's been great in Legion mm-hmm. and is great here. Jeremy Irons. Jeremy Irons. Who is very funny. Um... Yeah, Tim Blake Nelson, Don Johnson. Yeah. There's a. It's Louis Gossett Jr. Louis Gossett Jr., that's right. Which was amazing. I hadn't seen him in ages. But 
Yeah, it's a really good cast of a lot of people, and yeah, but yeah, it's 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 worth watching, and um, it does change the story. I was I'm a little bit on the fence about it at times. But no, has, I thought it, I yeah, thought it was one of the it best. It has a great villain, though. I think it had one of the best. I think it was one of the best pieces of television I've ever seen. We don't know if they're going to do another one. They don't need to, um, but I think it's definitely worth watching. It is extraordinarily violent, y'all. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are some real fucked up things that happen, so it's for adults. Uh, TVMA. But other than that, Little Women and Watchmen. That's an interesting right. combo. All right, then next week, trucks. Trucks. Maximum Overdrive, take two. We'll see how it goes. Couldn't be any worse than the first one. (laughs) What am I saying? Of course it could be. Until then, questions, comments, concerns can go to our email, latecomerspod at gmail.com. We're uh, on Facebook at Latecomers Podcast. Search for us that way. Uh, At Twitter, at Latecomers Pod. I remind you to take your medicine. And we remind you. Better better late than than never. never. Gonna knock you off your feet Better recognize your brothers Everyone you meet